Welcome to the Sunday night service. We're glad you're back with us again. Uh, Open your Bible, if you have one, to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9. Our study tonight is actually going to be just in verses 6 through 9, but I want to read 1 through 9 to give us the context. And so Galatians 3, 1 through 9 is our reading. The word of the Lord says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you work miracles among you and do so by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us understanding tonight. Lord, we confess that we need your help. We always need your help. There's never a time when we can understand your word unless your spirit opens our eyes, opens our ears, helps us to see, helps us to hear. And so we count on the work of the Holy Spirit tonight. Help us as we explain and help us as we listen. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Suppose you woke up one morning to find that you were somehow involved in a whole new life. The familiar world of colors was gone, and you are now living in a world of black and white reality. Your home wasn't your home anymore, but you'd awakened in a different house, partly familiar and partly strange. You noticed that you no longer seem to be living in the 21st century, but somehow you've been transported back in time to 1946. Walking outside your door, you discover that you're now living in a place called Bedford Falls. Everyone seems to know you, and you seem to know every one of them too, somehow. And you have a history with each one of them. But it soon becomes apparent that their history with you has not always been positive. They treat you coldly. They make reference to things that you've said to them in the past that apparently weren't always complimentary. You begin to get the impression that the person that you were before you woke up this morning was thoroughly unpleasant. Your heart feels conviction about this. Fumbling over your words, you try to express that that old person wasn't the real you, that ever since you woke up this morning, you've become a new person. People don't seem to know what to make of you as you haltingly try to explain that you're a new creature, that you're not the same old person you used to be. They look at you strangely. They back away. What in the world is going on, you think? Who am I? And how did I get into this strange situation? 
And then without warning, a stranger dressed entirely in white walks up to you with a book in his hand. Do you know where you are, he asks. Know where I am, you cry out in surprise. Why, I don't even know who I am anymore. What's this all about? Oh, says the stranger, you've been made into a new creature. You're not the same as you used to be. You now have a whole new life. You're a character in a movie. It's a movie called It's a Wonderful Life, and it is a wonderful life, you know. Character in a movie, you exclaim. I don't know how to play my part. What am I supposed to do? Well, it's easy, says the angel. Just follow the script. The author himself will give you all the personal instruction that you need. Script? How do I get a script, you ask? Well, he says, it's already written down for you, right here in this Bible. Just listen to the author, and he'll give you all the personal instruction that you need on how to play your part well. You know, dear one, every one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ wakes up every morning in a whole new world and we'll never be at a loss as to how to play our part if we listen carefully to the author of the play as he speaks to us personally out of his word. The big idea that we want to deal with tonight is that God speaks to us personally in his word. He gives us all the understanding we'll ever need to play our part in the great drama of redemption. We just want to look tonight at verses 6 through 9 in chapter 3. And we're going to pay special attention to verse 8, which is a verse that tells us that the Bible is the speaking voice of God to each one of his children. The idea we're dealing with is that God speaks to us personally through his word. Now, before we begin our study, I need to make a theological admission to you. And I want to admit to you that the verses that we're looking at, verses 6 through 9, have a primary meaning that's different from the secondary understanding we're going to be looking at tonight. So before we begin our study, I want to acknowledge that the primary meaning of these four verses that we have before us, verses 6 through 9, is that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's what the text says. In other words, we're declared righteous by believing alone, not by works, just as we see. Now, that's the text's primary meaning. That's what these verses mean. Tonight, however, we want to look at a secondary meaning in the text that only comes out of verse 8. And I want to be clear to you what I'm doing so that you won't think I'm just making stuff up that doesn't emerge from the text. There are primary meanings to texts of Scripture and there are legitimate secondary lessons as well that can be just as helpful to us. And tonight we're going to look at one of those secondary help uh, meanings out of the text. So in order to do this, I'm going to place an imaginary box here on the platform. And into that box, I'm going to drop three seemingly unrelated ideas that emerge from the text. And then later, I'll try to bring these ideas together but just for the moment, go along with me, and let's just listen to these three ideas that emerge. First of all, verses 6 through 9 deal with the Word of God. And as we've noted on previous Sunday nights, 
the first help toward knowing Christ in a personal way, in personal experience, is the Spirit of God in the life of each believer. Now, these verses help us find the second help that we have toward knowing God in a personal way in verse 8, where we're pointed toward the Word of God as also our helper. We not only have the Spirit of God, which assures us that we're in a personal relationship with Christ, but we have the Word of God as He speaks to us out of His Word. It's the personal speaking voice of the Word that we want to think about tonight. So here comes idea number one that we're going to, that will help us grasp the point. Idea number one is this. Faith is trusting and obeying what God has said in his word. That's an idea that we want to drop into our box to help us understand tonight. Now let's take a deep dive into the meaning of this grace, beginning with noticing that in verses 6 through 9, the number of times the word faith occurs As we run our eyes down the page of our Bibles, we find this verse jumping out at us once in verse 7 and once again in verse 8 and then twice more in verse 9, four times. So obviously, faith is a major idea being considered in these verses. Now, what is meant by faith and what is faith based on? Let's think about faith for a few moments. In Christian theology, Everything comes to us by faith. There's nothing that God has done for us that he gives us that we do not receive by faith. Everything comes to us this way. And according to the Bible, there's no other way of receiving the things of God. God wants to give us some things. And everything he wants to give us comes to us only by faith. So it's important for us to ask the question, what is faith? Now, according to the scripture, Faith is simply trusting and obeying what God has said in his word. In order to have faith, you have to have the word of God, and the spirit of God must create faith in your heart and understanding in your mind. That's the way we get it. Faith is a gift that only God can create, and he always works through this interaction of his word and his spirit to create faith in the heart of an individual. Now, with that in mind, Look down the passage again and notice that there's another word that's used four times in these verses, and it's the word Abraham. Even a casual reader of the Bible will recognize the name Abraham as identifying the founder of the Jewish nation. And those who have read a little farther in their Bibles will remember that Abraham is often referred in our New Testaments as the man of faith. So there's a connection between Abraham and this concept of faith. Abraham is the prototype of faith. He's the example of how to live by faith. He's the living illustration of what faith is based on and what a life that's lived by faith should look like. Now, for a moment, reflect on the fact that Abraham does not have a Bible to read. At the time that Abraham believes God, there is not one single page of the Scripture that has yet been written. Moses doesn't begin the first books of the Old Testament until much later after Abraham has lived his life. And since we have it said that Abraham is trusting and obeying what God has said in his word, and since Abraham has no Bible, how does Abraham have faith? Because he doesn't have a word. 
Or are we misdefining faith by saying that it's trusting and obeying what God has said in his word? So here's an idea we're going to drop into the box. So that one goes in. Now, idea number two that goes, just hold on to that for a minute, and it'll come clear at the end. Idea number two goes into the box. And here's idea number two. Though Abraham had no Bible, he still had faith because God spoke to him personally. Notice carefully the quotation from Genesis 15, 6 that occurs in Galatians 3, 6. The Bible says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now look at that carefully. Look at that verse again carefully. What does it say? Does it say Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness? It doesn't say that, does it? Rather, what it says is, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, maybe you're wondering what difference it makes that there's no in that's often assumed to be there in that phrase, Abraham believed God. We often assume that what it says is, Abraham believed in God, but that's not what it says. It says Abraham believed God. Does it make any difference? Well, it makes a lot of difference that the in is not there. You know, there's a vast difference between believing in God, which means that one believes that God exists, that a person has come to a settled opinion that there's a God, that the Bible gives us the facts about him, and that he ought to be taken into account in our thoughts and actions. Those are good ideas. But there's a great deal of difference in that idea and what our Bibles actually say. To believe in God is one thing, but to believe God is something else entirely. Believing in God, simply believing he exists, believing in God will not get anyone to heaven. But believing God, in other words, taking God as truth, not just his word, but God himself, that's what takes us from darkness of lostness and brings us into the light of salvation. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So somehow, Abraham got from believing in God, just knowing the facts about God, to trusting God, to believing that God would keep his promises, and that made all the difference in his life. How did Abraham make that leap? Since Abraham had no Bible to consult about who God is or who even man is or what God is up to, there's only one possible way that Abraham could have arrived at this condition of belief. Abraham had to have heard God speaking to him personally, and it was through listening to the personal voice of God that Abraham went from merely believing in God to believing God personal experience of the voice of God made all the difference to Abraham. You may be thinking to yourself, well, that's very interesting. I'm glad for Abraham, but how does that apply to me? Is there any way that I can personally hear God's voice? Abraham was a special case. After all, you may be thinking, I'm just a regular person. God doesn't speak to people like me personally the way he spoke to Abraham. Are you sure Perhaps God does speak to you, dear one. Perhaps there is some way that there's a speaking voice of God that's reaching out to you individually and personally. 
So let's take that idea and let's drop it into the box. Now let's look for another idea that can help us. And here's idea number three. The New Testament writers saw the scripture as the equivalent of a personal word from God to believers. When we look into our New Testaments, we find the writers of the New Testament assuming that the word of God that we have received is just as personal to us as that speaking voice of God was to Abraham that we read about in Genesis 15, 6. I want you to notice in verse 8 that we find an important clue to how God might speak to us personally or to any believer personally in our day. Look at what this says. Paul writes, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Now, notice what he said. He said, The scripture foreseeing the scripture preached the gospel. Now, in this verse, I'd like you to notice how that word scriptures is personified. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul somehow takes scripture as being a person who is speaking personally to Abraham. As we read our Bibles, we find Paul doing this over and over again in the New Testament writings. He's always personifying the scripture. He always talks about the scriptures as if they were a living being rather than just a collection of thoughts that are written down on paper. Now listen to what Jim Boyce, one of our commentators, says about this matter. Boyce says, The unusual way that the Old Testament is cited here makes this an important verse for assessing the value given to the Old Testament by Paul and other New Testament writers. The unusual feature is that in in this passage, the scriptures are personified. Paul writing that the scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Paul views the scriptures as if they were God speaking. Another example of this is in Romans 9, 17 in which Paul says, For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose. Now these verses, says Boyce, along with others, highlight an absolute identification of scripture with the words of God in the mind of the New Testament writers. In other words, Paul and the New Testament writers did not think of the scriptures as a collection of writings about God, but as God's voice speaking to us, leading us into a personal relationship with him. They're not simply things that are written down that lead us to an impersonal belief in God's existence. But the scriptures indeed are the speaking voice of God to us or to anyone who can come to believe in, so that anyone can come to believe in God, to find him trustworthy, unfailingly faithful, and personally present in our lives. So now we've got these three ideas that we put into our box. Idea number one, faith is trusting and obeying what God has said in his word. Idea number two, though Abraham had no Bible, he still had faith because God spoke to him personally. And then idea number three, 
the New Testament writers saw the scriptures as the equivalent of a personal word from God. Now let me bring all this together and try to make clear what I'm trying to say. Many Christians conceive of faith as simply holding right opinions about what their Bibles say. They have right opinions about God without necessarily knowing God as a personal friend. Now what's missing? What help do they need to move from simply knowing about God into knowing God in this personal way? The help that we're pointed to in these verses is to realize that our Bibles are not simply fact books about God, but they are in fact the personal speaking voice of God given to each one of us because he loves us. The Bible is God's speaking voice, and its purpose is not to become a substitute for God, but a pathway into a living encounter with God. The doctrinal point is simply this. We experience God when we realize that his word is the voice of our Savior speaking to us personally rather than an impersonal book of facts about God and about spiritual things. You know, to be spoken to literally makes all the difference. We live, of course, in an age of impersonal communication. We text each other. We send emails. We Facebook chat, and of course, confusion reigns. Unless you're unusually careful in your communication, your emotional state of mind can easily be miscommunicated through these means of supposed communication. Let me give you an example. How many times have you meant to say something in a lighthearted way, only to discover later, to your horror, that your remark was taken as snarky criticism? Or how often has your spell checker completely changed the meaning of the words that you were trying to express into some nonsense piece of language? No, for genuine communication between individuals, nothing takes the place of speaking and being spoken to personally. I wonder, do we realize that when we're reading our Bibles, God is speaking to us personally? The Spirit of God in the believer's heart and the Word of God in the believer's hands are God's personal invitation into a conversation with our Maker. And that occurs every time we pick up our Bibles. I'm afraid that many of us might have lost the art of conversation with the Savior. Perhaps we've fallen into the trap of thinking of our Bibles as simply an answer book, something that we pick up when we need advice in a sticky situation, sort of a divine Dear Abby that used to be kind of a column that used to be in our newspapers. Or maybe we think of our Bible as a nice place to go for a collection of blessed thoughts, you know, sort of a Hallmark card version of touching sentimentalism that when our heart needs a lift. Or possibly we think of our Bible as a collection of good rules, something that ought to be memorized, preached, obeyed, sort of like a little booklet that they give you before your driver's test at the DMV. Well, actually, our Bible is nothing like any of those things. The Bible, every page of it, is God's offer to enter into a personal conversation with each of his beloved children. As we read the scripture, we hear him speak to us about our personal lives, about our worries, our joys, our sorrows, our hopes for the future. 
When we pray in response to what we hear him saying, we are answering God in the memorable phrase of Eugene Peterson. Bible reading and prayer are the ways that we spend intimate times with Jesus, sort of like a long-distance conversation over the phone with a beloved parent or friend. Though we cannot see his face, we know his presence is real, and he cares for us beyond question. Think of it, dear one. Think of it. Our Creator and Savior delights to spend personal time with every one of us every day. So where are you tonight? We've been given two great helps so that we can pass from a mere knowledge about Christ to a personal experience of Christ. The indwelling Spirit helps us, and the speaking voice of the Word of God helps us. Let's pray that the Spirit will lead us into a deeper and deeper knowledge, a personal knowledge of Christ, as we listen prayerfully to his speaking word of God, his voice of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you that you're interested in having a conversation with each one of us. Help our hearts and minds to be aware and lit up with the joy of your personal presence when we open our Bibles and ask to hear your voice. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, thanks for coming again tonight. We're glad you're with us. Join us again next week for another message from God's Word. In the interim time, stay safe.